Well, hey, today is uh, Valentine's Day, right? And uh, I, uh, my wife can attest, I am notorious for really kind of uh, loathing the uh, uh, topical messages related to holidays. Uh, I, I, always, I always have trouble when it comes to the holiday message that I've got to give, right? Because everybody's expecting, well, he's got to preach on love, right? It's, it's, it's Valentine's Day, right? I caved. I'm, I'm going to preach on love, okay? But here, here's the thing. I, 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 wanted to, I was trying to figure something new out, you know, something new about love. And I was, I was scouring the internet and reading lots of books, you know. I was reading James Dobson and H. Norman Wright and Emerson Egricks and all these great authors who have written on love recently. And I just couldn't find anything that was working. I was looking for some good love tips. But then, uh, then I came across Gary Smalley. How many of you heard of Gary Smalley? Yeah, he's a pretty good author. He's a pretty good writer on marriage. And I, I found this amazing video. And it started off really, really strong. And then, and then it kind of tapered off. But, well, I don't know. You, you tell me what you think of these marriage tips. Take a look at these marriage tips. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley. And I've been helping marriages for years improve. And I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage. And I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something that I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That, that's Sorry. our faux pas. We've got some killer marriage tips that we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences for her. Yeah. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun. But make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for Good Financial Stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Make sense. It, is. it is. It is. It is. It is. It is. It not make sense. It is. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak. And then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents, but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in a timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> That's classic. Okay. Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, Respond with the sound effect of a cash register. 
Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> you know, guys, uh, those were kind of horrible tips. Okay. I guess she didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, <laughs> I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and send this thing off for some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this. It's kind of, like, weird. I mean, those are some incredible, incredible marriage tips. I, I, I really thought I, I came across a gold mine there. So, you know, so the title of the message here, we're, we're going to just go with that. You know, the, uh, the six killer uh, marriage tips, you know, from Johnny and Chachi there, right? Well, no, we're, we're probably not going to go in that direction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cross, I'm going to amend this a little bit. Let's change it up a little bit. Let's go with... Uh, Six marriage tips, and let's go from the Song of Solomon, as a matter of fact. Now, raise your hand if you have ever heard a sermon from the Song of Solomon. Raise your hand. A few of you. How about in the last five years? Raise your hand. Uh, two years. Oh, wow, a few. All right, good. This is the book that is, uh, that is dreaded by many pastors to preach on. So here we go. Turn to the book of Song of Solomon. We're going to look at some love tips here today. For Valentine's Day, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. All right. Song of Solomon. We're going to be looking at uh, six tips from uh, King Solomon in, uh, in this book. It's a great book, by the way. I'm going to encourage, encourage you folks to, to go home and really read this with your spouse. I think, uh, I think we're, we'll be surprised how much we can actually glean from this book. We're just going to do a brief overview of some, uh, some good general tips that are coming from the Song of Solomon. Well, first, uh, I want to give you a little bit of a background on the Song of Solomon. A lot of people don't know how to approach this book at all. Uh, but in the, in the original uh, Hebrew Bibles, um, the book was actually called Song of Songs. And, of course, that comes from chapter 1, verse 1. If you read chapter 1, verse 1, it mentions the Song of Songs there, which are Solomon's or which is Solomon's. But in the English Bibles, most of your English Bibles, not all, it'll be the Song of Solomon. There's really no, uh, no, no problem there on the title. It's just the title of the book. I believe NIV uh, still translates it Song of Songs, but most of your Bibles probably say Song of Solomon. Uh, how, what are the interpretive options for the Song of Solomon? You know, over the years, over the centuries, there have been a lot of different ways of looking at the Song of Solomon. Some have said that the Song of Solomon is an uh, allegorical relationship between God and Israel. Some have said that it's, it's God's relationship with Israel, that it's allegory, that, uh, that, it's, that everything you read here is not to be taken literally, but it's to be taken uh, figuratively as if God is in relationship to Israel. Others have said, no, this is uh, Christ's relationship with the church, and also to be taken allegorically. Some have seen in this uh, a reference to, to Jesus and to the, the church, uh, his bride. And uh, so they, they treat it very allegorically and interpret it that way. Uh, 
Personally, I find those two methods of interpretation to be troublesome in this book. I think it is much more uh, straightforward to take this as a uh, love book, as a book on the love between a man and a woman. So we're going to say this, a relationship between a man and a woman, most of which we can take very uh, literally. Of course, there's going to be still some allegorical elements in this book as you come across them. Uh, But really, this I believe that this is a real relationship taking place here. Between, and here are the, the main players, by the way, between King Solomon, who is one of our first main characters, and a Shulamite woman. A Shulamite woman. And this is a real relationship, a real interplay between these two individuals. And, and it, it really it follows their relationship. That's what the book is about. It's following their relationship. It's fact... As you look at kind of an outline of the book, there's, there's really a flow to it. As you start out in chapter 1, verse 1, you start off with attraction and, and courtship or the dating time. From chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 5, you really see Solomon and the Shulamite woman uh, uh, being attracted to one another and, and kind of having that, that dating relationship, uh, that, that initial kind of honeymoon period. And then it goes to the wedding day. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6 to 5, 1. That's the wedding day and, and, and night. And, and, and that's kind of the, 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 the highlight, the climax of the book. And then uh, it comes into married life in chapter 5, verse 2 to 8, 4. And there's ups and downs in the married life section. There's, there's moments where they're intimate and then there's moments where they're far apart from one another. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of read it in these sections. Then we have the conclusion of the matter. What are they saying about love? And a final uh, epilogue and recap. The, last, the final verses are kind of like if you were to watch the, uh, the trailer, if you will. The trailer of the whole book is actually put at the end. Uh, so it kind of recaps where we've come from. This is kind of a, a rough overview of the book of Song of Solomon. So wherever you are, uh, whether you are dating someone... Those earlier chapters are especially going to apply to you, whether you're married, whatnot. And, and regardless, even if you're unmarried, uh, this book has a lot to say about love. A lot of lessons to be learned here. So let's get started. We're going to be pointing out six good, merit, uh, good marital tips, good love tips here from the book of Song of Solomon. And the first tip I want to come to is this. Counter. Counter your spouse's insecurities with frequent expressions of confidence and praise. Go ahead and write that down. Counter your spouse's insecurities with frequent expressions of confidence and praise. Turn in your Bible to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the Shulamite woman speaking, and she's speaking to Solomon... And she's, she's kind of coy, she's kind of humble, she's, kind of, she's insecure. And notice what she says. She says in verse 5, I am dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not look upon me, because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept, or my own person, my own body I have not kept up. This is an expression, friends, of a woman 
who is, is, is relaying to her, her lover, her, the, the one she is courting, she says, no, don't look upon me. Don't look upon me. I feel insecure. I am dark. And in, in, in that day and age, the darker you were, the more evidence it was that you were a peasant. The darker you were, the more evidence it was that you were of lower class uh, citizenship. Kind of throws our whole tanning thing out the window, you know. Uh, it was the fair-skinned ones who were looked at as, as royal, and that's why I love my wife so much, because she's, she's got that milky white skin. Royal. It was the fair-skinned ones who, who really the kings were after and the princes were after, and she was dark, and she evidences that insecurity. She is notab- notably mentioning that, you know, please don't, don't look upon me. She's having these... These feelings, a, a lack of confidence. Notice what Solomon and how he responds in verses 9, 10, and then later on in 15. He says this, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. Verse 15, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. This is Solomon's rejoinder to the woman's insecurity. Now, guys, I don't necessarily recommend that you compare your, your spouse to a horse. Um, however, however, in that day and age, that must have been a very high compliment. Uh, he's saying, look, you're like the finest prized horse of Pharaoh's chariot. You, your, your, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with chains of gold. You're fair, my love. You're fair, my love. You have dove's eyes. Solomon counters... Her feelings of insecurity with words of confidence and words of praise. And right off the bat, in in Song of Solomon, I think that that is a tremendous, tremendous pointer on love. Men, we especially know that our our wives can often uh, get discouraged. Maybe, Maybe in their personal appearance. Maybe in, in the way they, they dress or the way they look on any given day. And, and guys, we have the opportunity right then and there when they're insecure and when they're feeling less confident, we have the opportunity to just shrug it off and not say anything. Or we have the opportunity to instill confidence and praise in our ladies. Solomon is making the wise choice here. He's saying, I know she feels insecure and I'm going to counter those with words of confidence, with words of praise, reminding her of her beauty, of my love for her. So number one on our, our love tips here. These are not Johnny and Chachi's love tips. These are some better ones. Number one, counter your spouse's insecurities with frequent expressions of confidence and praise. And oh, oh, you know what? Before we get to number two, I wanted to make mention of the fact that if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, by the way, chapter 2, verse 1, she starts to gain confidence. She describes herself, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And then later on, I've given you some other scriptures to look at. Later on, there's just these, these, these expressions of praise to one another. The man to the woman and the woman to the man where they're expressing their praise and their confidence in one another and in, in, in one another's beauty and how much they love them. Number two, Plan thoughtful and intentional date nights with your spouse. You say, really? Is that going on in Song of Solomon? Really? Yeah, it is. Plan thoughtful and intentional date nights with your spouse. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 8. 
This is Solomon, again, courting his future bride, and this is what he does. It says, uh, actually the Shulamite's speaking, and then later Solomon chimes in. She says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke, and he said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs. And the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. What we see here, friends, is is Solomon making plans. He's making preparations to take the Shulamite woman away. He says, look, the winter has passed. Spring has sprung. There are things that I want to show you. Come away with me. Let's, let's go away and let's, let's have a time together. Let's have a, a, a date night, if you will. He's been very intentional about this. He's looked out. He's known, he's known where he wants to take her. He's been thoughtful about it. He's been intentional. He knows exactly what he wants his future bride to see. And he rises her up and says, let's go out and let's see this together. Uh, You know, it's easy after after you're done with the courtship side of things and you get married, it's easy because you've already wooed your spouse it's often easy to kind of forget about having those intentional, thoughtful plans that you make with the one you love. And Solomon here is reminding us, don't don't let the woo and the attraction, don't let it stay on the side before marriage. Continue that. Continue to be intentional. Continue to do something that is unique, that is special for your spouse. Guys, especially with your ladies, uh, Women love when you have planned something. It can be as simple as dinner in a movie, but when you come and you surprise them with that, their eyes light up. And, and ladies, don't underestimate uh, how much the guy would appreciate that as well, to, to, to have a thoughtful, planned out evening where you've, you've secured babysitting and you've been able to take him to a, a special place, just the two of you. Maybe a, maybe a short vacation. Leave the kids with the grandparents. Right, grandparents? Casey and I kind of want to go away next weekend, so I was wondering, does anybody uh, want to offer? No? Okay, just checking. Glenn? Yeah, Glenn, you, you, can, uh, you can watch our kids. Number two, plan thoughtful and intentional date nights with your spouse. Do not underestimate that. That brings us to number three. Love and intimacy grow cold when we ignore our spouse's needs. Love and intimacy grow cold when we ignore our spouse's needs. In chapter five of Song of Solomon, we've come now to uh, we've come to the wedding and we're we're moving into the married life section. And the attraction and the courtship is over and the wedding day has been done and now uh, there's been a moment in their marriage where uh, 
there's been a, a little bit of separation, a little bit of withdrawal from one another. There's been a little bit of tension. And notice what takes place in chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. The Shulamite woman says this. She's now married. She says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, which in that day and age would have been just a very dear term. Uh, we're, not to, we're not to infer here that the Shulamite woman is Solomon's sister. It meant, it meant my close one, my companion. He says, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. And then the Shulamite woman responds and she says, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door. And then, and then it seems that some time has gone by. And then it continues. And my heart yearned for him. So finally she arose. I rose to open for my beloved. And my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved. But my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. What's taking place there? It's kind of a peculiar sequence, kind of a peculiar scene that's taking place in the book now. What's happened is that Solomon and his bride are now married, the Shulamite woman. And he's come to the door. It's, it's been raining outside. It's been, it's been a long day's uh, it's been a long night out for, for Solomon. He's come back and he's, he's come to the door and the door is locked and he's knocking on the door and requesting it. And in that day and age, it wasn't always common that they would have remained together in the same room. So he's come to her room, his bride, and he's knocked on the door and he's asked, may I come in? He, after having a long day, he had wanted to come in and, and have time with his bride. And you notice what she, she responds. She doesn't respond uh, quickly, does she? It says this. She says, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? She says in verse 3. In other words, I'm already in bed. I, I, I've already, my day is done. I've had a long day. I've gotten ready for bed. I'm in bed. I'm comfortable. I'm I want to go to bed. My beloved put his hand on the latch of the door, but then, but then he's gone. And in time, she, she kind of comes a little bit maybe to her senses, and she says, well, wait a minute. My heart does yearn for this one. And she says in verse 4, My heart yearned for him. I arose to open the door, my hands dripping with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened... For my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. This is uh, on, on both sides, between husband to wife and wife to husband. This happens all the time. And this isn't just related to intimacy. This is related to so many things. A spouse has a need. And that, that person comes to you and says opens up the door for that, that invitation for you to meet their need. And 
you kind of say, you know, I'm done for the day. I've had a long day. I, I, I'm done loving. I'm done giving. I'm done sacrificing. And by the time you come to your senses and think, you know, maybe I should, and then you come, and then your spouse is gone. Your spouse has now withdrawn from you emotionally, intimately. That spouse has gone away from you because of the delay in meeting their needs. I think we can all agree that this happens time and time again in, marriage, in, in married life. Um, both for the man and the woman. Meeting each other's needs. And when we delay, when we withdraw from them, by the time we come to our senses, it's often too late. Damage has been done and our spouse has, has turned aside. Solomon's giving wisdom here. He's saying, look, let love, remember that love and intimacy grow cold when we ignore our spouse's needs. It grows cold. We're quick to withdraw from one another when, we, when our needs are not met in a timely manner. And it breaks down intimacy. It breaks down love. It does not spur it on. That's a, a, a solid lesson to be learned from the Song of Solomon. So point three, love and intimacy grow cold when we ignore our spouse's needs. How about point four? This is one I love. Never criticize your spouse in public. Never criticize your spouse in public. Take a look at five, chapter 5. Uh, verse 8. What's happened now is the Shulamite woman, he, Solomon's left for the night. We're in the same sequence here. She, he's, he's advanced toward her and she's withdrawn and so he's left for a time. And now she's come to her senses and she says, I want him back. I want my lover back. And she tells her friends in verse 8 of chapter 5, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved that you tell him I am lovesick. And notice what her, how her friends respond. The daughters of Jerusalem, this is how they respond. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? So what, what's going on there? What are they, what, what's the conversation? What's happening? The Shulamite woman, the bride, is telling her friends, please help me find my husband. Find my husband. I want him back with me. Go out and find him. I miss him. I'm lovesick. I'm desperate for him. And the women turn to the bride and say, what's so good about him? What's so so positive about your beloved? Why are you so lovesick? Why don't you uh, kind of be your own woman? What's so special about your beloved? What's so special about this Solomon? The daughters of Jerusalem make no mistake in verse 9. They are inviting the Shulamite to disparage her husband. They are inviting her to criticize her husband. They are inviting her to say, yeah, you know what? I was comfortable in bed. I, you know what? I was done for the day. Yeah, he can go. You're right. I, mean, I am going to do a little husband bashing for a few minutes with my friends on the phone or I'm going to text them. They didn't have texting back then, I don't think. Never criticize your spouse in public. 
You know that the Shulamite woman refused to do this. If you read on, we're not going to do that, but if you read verses 10, 11, 12, all the way down to 16, all she does is praise Him. She responds to the, to the, to the opportunity that her friends have given her to disparage her husband. They've given her an open door to say, yeah, let's do, some, uh, let's do some spouse bashing for a minute. And she said, no, my husband is a great man. And from verses 10 to 16, if you continue to read in chapter 5, all she does is respond with praise and with love and with admiration for her man. My wife and I made a pact early on in our marriage. I think I've said it before. This was our rule very early on in our marriage. Never criticize each other in public, ever. Sure, we can have you know, our time after an event to talk, just the two of us. But we're never going to criticize each other in public. And I, I really believe we've kept to that. And it's, it's kept our marriage very, very strong. Um, we have uh, often been in situations where a spouse is criticizing another spouse. I tell you, it's so uncomfortable. It's, and it's so unbecoming. So unbecoming. It's so disrespectful. And it really, uh, it really wears down a marriage. I think a lot of marriages struggle with this. I think a lot of marriages struggle with this in public, but even greater, a lot of marriages struggle with this in private. Guys complaining about their wives to their friends. Ladies complaining about their husbands to their friends. Solomon and the Shulamites say, don't do it. Never criticize them in public. Never give opportunity for that. Refuse to do it regardless of the situation. All you are to speak is words of love and praise to your spouse. Of your spouse. Defend your spouse. Never criticize your, your spouse. Point five. Two more to go. I love this one. Be notably exclusive with your spouse. Remind them often you are the only one for me. Be notably exclusive. What do I mean by that? Well, this is what's happening in the Song of Solomon. There's, three, there's repetition a lot in the Song of Solomon. And here's one of those uh, repeating verses, if you will. In 2.16, the Shulamite says, My beloved is mine and I am his. Later on, she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And then again in 7.10, she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. There was an, there's a recurring theme in this book that says, Look, husbands, you are possessed by your wife. Wives, you are owned by your husbands. You two are each other's. Entirely. Exclusively. Noticeably. You two are for each other and for each other alone. There's no room. Song of Solomon gives no room for uh, any kind of Flirtation in marriage with, with others. It gives no room for any kind of, uh, uh, of just refusing to, 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 to demonstrate to each other your love and commitment and security toward one another. In this book, time and time again, the Shulamite woman has the confidence that she is her lover's and her lover is hers. His desire is toward me. Be notably exclusive with your spouse. You know, there is, there is uh, nothing wrong with, with uh, jealousy in a marriage. We should be 
deeply jealous for our spouse's love and attention. The Bible actually speaks of that. God often speaks. There's two, two good forms of jealousy in the Bible. God's jealousy toward us and our jealousy toward our spouse. We should be each other's alone. And it should be noticeable. Um, in your marriage, it should be evident to all that you two are, are focused exclusively on one another. Guys, make every effort to remind your wife that she is the only one for you. She's the only one. Ladies, to do the same for your husband is to do well. This is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful principle that, uh, that we would have ownership of one another, that security, that commitment. Number five, be notably exclusive with your spouse. Remind them often, you are the only one for me. And six, and finally, be patient for love and let intimacy grow naturally over time. Be patient for love and let intimacy grow naturally over time. Again, repetition. Three times in the Song of Solomon it says this. It says, I charge you, and this is the Shulamite speaking, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. What does she mean by that? She means, look, let love have its natural course. Don't force it. Don't Don't try to force it. Do not try to compel love. Don't compel the love of your spouse toward you. Give room for a natural progression. As you show love, naturally your spouse is going to be drawn toward you. This is the wisdom of Solomon the Shulamite here. And almost like a a gazelle or a doe. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a gazelle or a doe up close. You you, you walk up close to them and what happens? What happens? They run away, right? That's the imagery here. The Shulamite's saying, look, particularly, I I think this is often the case um, for the wife in the marriage relationship, if she's sensing a lack of intimacy, which from time to time certainly happens in every marriage, if the wife is sensing a lack of connection, a lack of intimacy, she will push very, very hard to get that intimacy from her husband. And she will, she will be very uh, compelling and very almost forceful to try and get a hold of that intimacy again. And, and the Shulamite's saying, look, like a gazelle and like a doe, you push too hard, they're going to run away. Allow time. Allow love to naturally progress. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. There's an order. There's an order to things here. And this goes for the, the, the dating and courtship relationship. You know, there's a, there's a time for an appropriate kind of love there. There's an appropriate kind of love for marriage. And then there's an appropriate way to reconcile and to draw that intimacy again into your life. Be patient for love, the Shulamite says. And let intimacy grow naturally over time. A review of our six items here. Number one. Counter your spouse's insecurities with frequent expressions of confidence and praise. Number two, plan thoughtful and intentional date nights with your spouse. Number three, love and intimacy grow cold when we ignore, when we withdraw from our spouse's needs. Number four, never criticize, ever criticize your spouse in public. Number five, be notably exclusive with your spouse. Remind them often, you are the only one for me. And number six, be patient for love. 
Let intimacy grow naturally over time. You know, as they came to the conclusion of the book, turn to chapter 8 real quick. As they came to the conclusion of the book, as they, as they had their marriage rekindled and reconciled, this were some, these were some of the final words of the Shulamite on the issue of love. She says this, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. She says, look, love is powerful. It is powerful when it is true and and good and pure in the marriage relationship. It, it, It is a powerful thing. More powerful than the grave. More powerful than vehement flames. And she also says, it's satisfying. It's satisfying. It has no substitute. You can't buy it, she says in verse 7. You can't trade away for it. It has no substitute. We're not to exchange anything for it. It can often be the case in a marriage over time, you lose the, the attraction and the courtship and the wooing, and you, kind of, you just go on into some monotonous life together. And, and the guy gets distracted with television and sports and work. And the woman gets distracted with, with other things and events and, and, and work and hobbies and, and the like. And you assume wrongly that those substitutes are somehow going to make you happier than a marriage of love and intimacy. Shulamite says, look, there is nothing worth exchanging for love. Love is powerful. Love is so satisfying. And we are to do all we can in our relationships to kindle and foster love. And sometimes you might be saying, well, my, but my spouse doesn't love me like I love them. That's okay. That's okay. As you show them love, as you show your spouse unconditional love, unmerited love, I think you'll be surprised at how they respond. When your love is unconditional, when it does not have strings attached, when you love them in spite of them, I think you'll be surprised how they will respond in time. It's proverbial. It doesn't always happen that way. I know there are many who have loved sacrificially and have not received that same love in return. But nevertheless, we're called to love. We're called to love because, quite frankly, God loved us in Christ. I want to leave us with this from 1 John 4. We read it as we were singing this morning. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So you see, love is is not contingent on the other's love. Your love to your spouse is not dictated by how much they love you. It is to be unconditional. Why? Because Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, expressed unconditional love for you. He died for you. He died for me. 
He died for all the sinners of this world. He put the sin of the world upon His shoulders and said, I love you. All who believe in Jesus Christ have everlasting life. And this is love. That every single one of you out there today, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you look upon Him and say, Lord, You are my Savior, my God, the One who gives me everlasting life, you will be saved. Unconditionally. No strings attached. No works. No persevering. God in Christ died for you unconditionally. And if you believe in Him, you will be saved. Friends, let us love like God loved us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank You for a time to consider love. Lord, we know that that we fail in love so often. Uh, Lord, we are imperfect Our marriages are imperfect. Our dating relationships are imperfect. Uh, There are times, Lord, where we uh, quantify our love based on how much someone else is loving us. Lord, shame on us for doing that. Forgive us, Father, for doing that. Help us to love You, to love our spouse, to love one another, to even love our enemies as Jesus Christ loved us on the cross at Calvary. May we keep our eyes on Jesus, and in so doing, Lord, we know You will teach us to love. In His name we pray. Amen.